2: This is Little Atoms, a radio show about ideas and culture, with me, Neil Denny. This week, Ben Ferguson talks about the last novel of his Berlin trilogy, An Honest Man. Ferguson's debut novel The Spring of Casper Meyer was selected for Waterstones Book Club WH Smith Fresh Talent and the BBC Radio 2 Book Club it was long listed for the Authors Club's Best First Novel Award 2015 and shortlisted for the Sunday Times Young Writer of the Year Award of 2015 and it also won the 2015 Betty Trask Prize for an outstanding debut novel by a writer under 35 and the HWA debut crown twenty fifteen for the best historical fiction debut of the year. Ben is also the author of The Other Hoffman Sister, and now An Honest Man, which is the the third in a series of books all set in Berlin. Um Ben, welcome back to Little Atoms. Thank you for having me. It's lovely to be back. Um tell us how you would describe an honest man, first of all.
1: Um so an honest man is a mixture of two things that it's Heart. It's a um, love story and a a coming-of-age novel about uh, a 17-year-old British-German teenager called Ralph who um, meets a Turkish-German bookseller called Oz um, and falls in love with him. But at the same time, there's a spy plot. Uh, There's a reason that Oz gets involved in Ralph's life. Um, and the book is also about um, it's it's set in Berlin, 1989. It's important to mention, and there's a Cold War secret at the at the heart of their relationship, which comes out throughout the book.
2: And beyond the setting, how is this book, or is it in any way related to the other two?
1: Um, the main connection is the setting. Um, so the, the three novels, uh, Spring of Casemire, The Other Husband and Sister, and An Honest Man are all set in the same block. And they're separate uh, stories, discrete stories, although there are characters in each book that pop up in the other book. So both the main characters in the other two books appear in various ways in this last book, um, in little cameos. But also, I mean, all the books are connected in terms of what I was trying to do with them, which is that, you know, I always want to try and write kind of lit- literary fiction with a plot, so they're um, all to some degree literary thrillers. I mean, there's always a push from in, in publishing to write either thrillers or to write literary fiction, and I think in film and TV those genres are much more, or those mediums are much more open to to artistic fictional works that are well plotted um and, and that's always what i'm trying to do with my book so all, all three books try to be exactly that to be sort of books that have a an emotional arc and a heart and a and literary pretensions while being plotted and hopefully being to some degree page turners
2: so as you mentioned this one set in 1989 mm-hmm. remind us what's happening in berlin in 1989
1: So uh, 1989 is, of course, the year that the Berlin Wall fell. So um, Berlin is mentioned in the book, but I live in Berlin. I moved to Berlin uh, 10 years ago for the first time. And I was surprised how what a poor grasp I had of um, Berlin, the Berlin Wall, and and what happened in 1989. Um, What I had failed to understand, which is the setting of the book, is that – the whole of Berlin was in the middle of East Germany. So after the Second World War, the occupying powers divided up Germany into two halves, East and West Germany, but they also divided up the capital city Berlin into two halves. And then what happened was the uh, Soviets decided uh, to close the borders um, and, and not reunite Germany, which happened for instance in Austria that there was reunited. And West Berlin then became stuck in the middle of uh, enemy territory, in the middle of the East uh, of East Germany. And then in 1961, um, so before 1961, you could move between the two uh, sides of the city. And in 1961, the East German government closed the border and built a wall, uh, the Berlin Wall, famously. Um, and in 1989, the Soviet Union collapsed, um, and other communist powers began to collapse. And um, they opened the border in uh, autumn of um, 1989. And so that's that's the background, is this sort of this little Western exclave or enclave, depending on which way around you see it, stuck in the middle, this little island stuck in the middle of communist East Germany. And it was obviously, for all those reasons, a very odd place. On the one hand, it was a sort of just a very average West German city. But of course, in another way, far from average, in the sense it was, you know, you had to go through enemy territory to get there. And there were some weird rules about what you could and couldn't, how to get out. And also there was always this very sort of febrile sense of if ever there was a war, if the Russians decided they wanted to, they could sort of snip off the connection and take over the city. So it was, uh, it was a sort of exciting, uh, but also unnerving place to live.
2: We've just recently gone past the point in time where the Berlin Wall has been gone for longer than it actually existed. Mm -hmm. Um, And obviously there are characters in this book that saw the Berlin Wall raised, but for all the the teenagers, the main group, we're going to talk about some of the characters in a bit, but Ralph, our narrator, um, and his friends, it's just a fact of life. It's always been there.
1: Absolutely. And I was... And it's interesting to think about this because it, historical fiction, because, it, because, because I was alive when this happened, although I was, I was younger, so I was nine when the wall came down. But I do remember it. And I do remember also that when I was young, you know, when I was a, a, a little kid, that the East and West and the Berlin Wall just seemed like, you know, that that was how the world worked. And the idea of it not being there anymore just seemed completely non, you know, it was unimaginable. And I think it's hard. I mean, now when you read the history of it, it seems, you know, inevitable in some ways that the Warsaw Pact countries that that, that would collapse, and Eastern Bloc would collapse, and um, the Berlin Wall would fall. But at the time, it didn't feel like that. Um, people weren't aware of that, and so it really was a massive shock. Um, yeah, and for Ralph and his friends, his group of friends, it was it was the reality, and and it was. I, I interviewed lots of uh, West Germans and East Germans who lived in West Berlin um, and British people who lived in West Berlin at the time for the book. And the sense you got from everyone was it was like any of these things, it was just a very accepted and normal and they didn't think about it very much. And they were, you only saw the wall in certain bits of the city and a lot of the time you weren't really aware of it. And you know, most of the time in your day to day life, it just wasn't something you particularly thought about except for some of these sort of weird quirks of, of the city.
2: So let's talk about Ralph. He's a narrator. When we first meet him at the beginning of the book, he's looking back on events from a, a distant point in time, isn't he? Yeah, it?
1: absolutely, yeah. So he's talking from the, the future, and without giving the ending away, we find out at the end of the book it goes into um, present tense. We find out that it, there's an exact moment that he's talking from that, that has also sort of historical meaning, um, yeah, so he's 18 when the action of the book takes place. He's he's just left school. He was going to the British School um, in uh, Berlin, where you went if you someone in your family was in the military, and you would do normal GCSEs and A levels like other people. Um, and so he he did that there, but his group of friends are all German because, um, as lots of people who um, the, the people I talked to who went to the British School said. If you were living in Berlin permanently for any reason, your friends came and went because, of course, people get posted after two years to Cyprus or other places and um, other British army bases. And so Ralph in the book makes this rather geeky group of friends who are all have the same passion, which is broadly geography and geology. Uh, and they're all Germans and they're leaving uh, school at the same time, but they're all a year old. So he's he's also very in awe of this group
2: of friends and these this group of friends they're all at the point where you know they're in their late teens they're basically on the verge of finishing school and 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 going off to do other things basically at the at, at the cusp of becoming adults and and i be, i love the way you write that actually let's talk of something Uh-oh. about that that point of of basically like there's a word for teenagers. So I was going to say not, not children, but not yeah. adults yet either. They're right on the cusp.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's this, this sense of the endlessness of that summer. I think a lot of people can remember the summer after you do your final exams. And it's this sort of huge amount of time where you don't really have much to do. And you spend a lot of time. I grew up in the countryside, so I spend a lot of time sort of lying around in fields, getting drunk. And yes, yeah, so, so on the one hand, you have this huge freedom um, and this, this lack of responsibility, but at the same time, you're very aware of developing your adult self and and feel ad- very adult. Although, you know, of course, when you look back on it, you know, when you're older, you think, oh, yeah, I was terribly young and I didn't know anything. But at the time, you feel like you know everything and you have a really clear sense of who you are and who you're going to be, which, of course, usually doesn't turn out to be the case.
2: Now, you mentioned Ralph's group of friends, Stefan, his best friend, and and the girls, Petra, and Micah, I wanted to talk about particularly, who is mm-hmm. basically Ralph's girlfriend. Tell us something about yeah. her. She's a great character too.
1: So Micah is this group of friends. Petra is a sort of, um, there's a great German word, Grenzüberschreiten, which means like, border crossing is like someone who's always going too far with things that, that, that's Petra and then Stephanie's best friend who's this kind of Kreuzberg hippie and uh, very involved in the green movement and then Micah who's in some sense is a bit a bit square but also from a slightly poorer background than than the other people in the group but very in love with uh, Ralph and they have a really good relationship. And I also wanted, I mean, it's, it's been interesting talking about the book the last few weeks because what quickly happens is you talk about the book as a gay book or talk about Ralph as a gay character um, or talk about it, it as a, a book about him coming to terms with his sexuality, but actually very much on purpose that Ralph is very clear about his sexuality at the beginning of the book. He's not open about it. He hasn't talked to anyone about it, but he's very aware that he's attracted to men. And he's also very in love with his girlfriend, and they have a romantic, sexual relationship and a very close relationship. Um, exploring their relationship is more to do actually with the way that Ralph has separated this off uh, his desire for men off from his, as he sees it, his sort of real daily life in Berlin. And but the danger of that is that he doesn't see his attraction to other men, and particularly to Oz, and his burgeoning relationship with him as as being, it, it, for him it's just completely separate from that relationship.
2: Now there's obviously, as you said, there's an espionage story here, which we're obviously not going to go into too much detail on. Yeah. But there's clearly a parallel between um, Ralph and his compartmentalization of his sexuality with the life that a lot of people were living in Berlin through the Cold War in terms of their relationship between the East and the West.
1: Absolutely. And and I'm really... And and, and that goes... You know, An Honest Man, you know, the idea of that title is that it relates to all of the men in the book um, and to what extent any of them are honest or any of us are honest. So the book explores... The idea of authenticity in terms of Ralph and his sexuality, but also in terms of espionage, in terms of pretending to be someone you aren't, but also in terms of national identity. So there's also this, you know, Ralph throughout the book, he's also attracted by the sort of exoticism of Oz as a Turkish German and often pushes him to, in a sense, be what he sees as authentically Turkish. And of course, wasn't someone who's grown up in in Berlin and and to a degree also uh, plays that up for for Ralph. Um, so so the book is is sort of exploring all, all of those things. And in terms of the, I think it doesn't give it away too much to say that one of the inspirations for the book was reading about um, Romeo spies, who were these East German uh, spies who would usually attract women but sometimes uh, men um and would be working for the east and would go and live a life in the west and would often start dating someone who for instance worked in for buyer as a secretary and they would find out what this person this this secretary was into bump into them and start a relationship with them and they would be really long-term relationships and then start getting information from them but what i found the sort of Key detail that I found completely fascinating about those those stories was that when the war fell, those marriages often stayed together. And I, I got really fascinated by this idea: of that if you're pretend, if you know, if, if you're an East German spy, and you are pretending to be, you know, a West German geography teacher or a West German uh, record shop salesman or whatever, if you're doing that for thirty years, to what extent are you that? You know, if, if that's what your life is, then can you really say that you were pretending to be that? So what I was really interested in exploring is this idea of, so Ralph and his relationship with his girlfriend, he's, he's a, at the beginning of the book, certainly he's a good boyfriend. That, 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 is, that is who he is in that relationship. And in his group of friends, he has a role and he really is that person. And, and, you know, and he also he's also German and English and, and, and both he's both of those things depending on the context.
2: To Little Atoms, I'm Neil Denny. Today I'm talking to Ben Ferguson, and we're talking about his latest novel, An Honest Man. And then I want to bring in Ralph's parents. He yeah. has uh, an English mother and a German father. Tell us about them.
1: So, his mother is the daughter of someone who worked in the British military as a psychiatrist. Interesting. Originally, my, my plan for the book was that she would be a psychiatrist working for the British Army, but I had to sli- make it slightly more complicated because I discovered that there were no female doctors at the time who worked for the British Army, and so I was like, "Oh no, you could have a nurse." And I was like, "This is not, yeah." So um, we had to find a had to find a way around that because um, uh, it was very important to me that he had this this dual citizenship. Yeah, so she's she's this. Um, British uh, psychotherapist uh, and treats a lot of um, people um, from the different occupying powers in Berlin at the time which is kind of her speciality which is why she why she's very successful and then his father is a um, works in a pharmacy and there are sort of Ralph obviously the book is from Ralph's point of view and to, to an extent he, he sees them as sort of he has a close relationship with them both, but but also finds them, you know, dull and uh frustrating. Um but then there's also again without giving too much away, there's then an infidelity that, that's discovered in the book that also again is, is playing with, it, with this idea of authenticity and and uh, honesty and to what extent we are honest with, with ourselves and also the extent to which we can which is a, an issue that c- comes up in Germany a, a lot over the generations, is to what extent you can love someone in your family or in a relationship who's done bad things or who has pretended to be uh, someone they're not or who's you know had an affair, just, uh, as happens with, with his parents.
2: I want to talk about Oz, and we, you've mentioned Oz and, and who he is quite a bit in in the first part, so perhaps let's mm-hmm. talk about Oz through... I guess I want to talk about... What life was like for gay men in Berlin at this particular time in history? I mean, obviously we know what's been going on um elsewhere in the world through the nineteen eighties. Mm-hmm. But Berlin's in this obviously unique position of being um, you know, split between the East and West, but also at the same time, you know, famously a place that's, you know, associated with a certain type of hedonism. We could think of the, all, those sort of great you know, 1970s, 1980s, Berlin albums, yeah, and things. Um, but what was it like as as, as a centre for for gay life at this time?
1: I mean, it was absolutely a centre for gay life at the time. And I live in Schöneberg, and there's a bit of Schöneberg near here, which is a bit like Soho in London, in the sense it's Mondsstrasse. It, it, that area is is the sort of the centre of the gay scene. But it's also a very mixed uh, city in a very mixed area. And there's a very big Turkish community also in Schöneberg. So those two communities are also really mixed together here, which is uh, really interesting and, and rub shoulders together. Um, it was also for lots of gay men a, a kind of safe haven because West Berlin was never actually part of West Germany officially until the wall fell. It was still occupied up until 91 when the country reunited. And that meant that it was the only place that you could live as a West German and a man and avoid military service. So, for a lot of men who wanted to avoid military service, either because they were gay or because they were often because they were countercultural in some sense, uh, would come to Berlin, and, and it created this scene that obviously then attracted people like uh, David Bowie and Iggy Pop and, and all of those sort of people. So, on the one hand, it was a very it, it felt like a sort of city apart and a city uh, where you could live an alternative life um, separate to what lots of people would see as a rather straight um, German German life. Again, there's a great German word, Spiesig, which, which means it's very hard to translate, which is a kind of it represents a, a very classic sort of West German who uh, spends their weekends cleaning their car and mowing their lawn and Doing all those sort of things, and, and so it was Berlin always felt very different to that, and and the sense of danger, you know, the sense of it being sort of cut off, I think, added to that. Um, at the same time, in the novel, neither Ralph nor Oz are involved in the gay scene in any way, and it was also a time. And I, I mean, I remember I, I didn't know I was gay when I was nine, but I remember. I remember AIDS adverts in the in the eighties, the, the the famous John Hurt advert. And there were similar um, adverts here, and, and, and obviously the AIDS crisis also struck here uh, in, in West Berlin very prominently. But it also, and this is something that Ralph mentions in in the in the book that that it, it also made that scene feel very separate. Right. I remember even in the. 90s when I did work out that that I was gay thinking even then the sort of idea of what, what it meant to be a gay man was still very I mean the only gay people around at the time were that I knew about were Freddie Mercury who, who came out because he died of AIDS or figures like Derek Jarman or and who who were incredible artists but 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 led a very specific kind of gay life that that felt you know at the time when I was young I remember feeling like but is that do I have to have to lead this sort of life so yeah, so, so I think Ralph and Oz, although we don't hear from Oz because uh, we're not, not in his head, but but they're living slightly outside of that world,
0: um, and of
1: course for Oz, um, he's Turkish german and, and and that's also a different uh, dealt with differently. Although again, it's it's I think often there's this conversation in the West about Muslim countries being anti-gay and Christian countries not being. And again, that's it's more nuanced than that. Turkey is one of the only countries in the world that has never forbidden homosexuality, but it's still quite a conservative population uh, in Berlin. And so, it would be be something he wouldn't he he wouldn't have talked about, or likely wouldn't have talked about with his family.
2: So, in terms of writing the burgeoning relationship between Ralph and Oz, um, setting yourself apart, like say, you know, not giving yourself the the ability to set it within a certain milieu, to have those aspects of their lives that, you know, that made it more difficult for them to have this relationship. Um, how did that sort of impact on the writing of their burgeoning relationship?
1: Um, I mean, it, when I started r- writing the story, I was, the story became quite clear to me and their relationship and their connection to their families and to the rest of Berlin, to the rest of the world as it were, was all a consequence of them as characters and of the story. So it's an interesting question in the sense that it maybe would have been different if I thought what I want to write is a book about what it was like to be gay in West Berlin in the 1980s. That isn't where I started. Where I started was, was i I' really would love to write something about West Berlin about characters in west berlin and uh something that has to do with espionage that's also a love story and the characters happen to be gay and then it grew from there um so i think that's i think it's more that those two characters i don't think would have i felt that was a realistic uh route for them to each other as it were and also i feel like it, it's still It's hard to talk about on the one hand, because I also don't want to say that books that that are about the scene or books that deal with, or stories, you know, plays that deal with uh, the AIDS crisis and the gay community in the 80s are somehow, you know, we've had enough of those. I don't think that at all. Um, But I do think there are a million ways to be a gay man or or a bisexual man. And I, I was exploring one way but i wasn't in any way trying to trying to say something about the gay community at that time
2: just one more thing then and then i'll get you to read some so looking back on the trilogy of books as you said they're all set in the same block which is where you live now um so i mean as you as you walk around today Mm -hmm. What sort of elements of of those three stories are still around?
1: In terms of sort of physically?
2: Yeah, I'm thinking, you know, now, now all these three books are done, you've finished this trilogy, but sort of as you walk around, not like what buildings are still there, but I mean, like, what are the sort of the memories that you see mm -hmm. on a day-to-day basis of writing these three novels?
1: And there are lots of things that... I and the, the really great thing about living here and having written those books is that' he's just having a deeper understanding about what was going on at that time and so I feel like you know I, I often talk about the research with Germans who don't know very much about it and especially if you talk to West Germans who never haven't been to Berlin they quite often have a very ropey understanding of it and so it's been lovely having that that sort of depth and and you know, I still think about Casper Mile. I remember the, the sort of spark of the spring of Casper Mile, which was set in 1946, was seeing still seeing buildings, especially in the East, with with bullet holes in them. And of course, as Berlin gets wealthier and develops, those are more often filled in. All the facades are plastered up. And in fact, the building I first lived in in Berlin that sparked off that idea has been uh, renovated, and, and those those bullet holes are gone. But, but you still see it about, and I still then think about uh, Kasper and um, that period. There are little marks of Berlin's colonial past in, in various buildings, particularly public buildings and the zoo, particularly, which all came up in uh, the other Hoffman sisters. So that often makes me think about Ingrid and uh, Margareta and, and their lives. And in terms of 1989, I was just chance on. Uh, yesterday about the etc which is the big conference center built in the 70s by the Funkturm, which is like a they're both sort of west berlin landmarks and i I think writing an honest man has gave me a real sense of west berlin is a very particular place which is now uh, i first lived in east berlin and now live in west berlin and um i'm very aware of that when i'm chatting to people and seeing people uh, out and about in the city so so but yeah all of that the experience of writing them is still very much on my mind as i'm i'm going about my day
2: um can i get you to to read as some of an honest man then?
1: certainly so i'm gonna uh, read from just the first chapter which is um just a, a short three-page chapter When I was still a geology student, it terrified me, shucking open a chunk of mud-black shale to find a single fossilized ginkgo leaf. It was the idea of it falling onto the soft silt of a Pangean river, sinking, compacting, and finding its way into my hands 270 million years later. All that time compressed in hot darkness made me claustrophobic, but now it consoles me. When I have to listen to someone clipping their nails on the U-Bahn or watch shouting demagogues on TV dressed in ill-fitting suits, I think of molten rock, ice and pressure that our short time on earth will go the way of the ginkgo leaf, a few flat impressions in a split black rock. The Berlin Wall too is a trace now, a faint line of cobbles at Potsdamer Platz, a toothy wall of rusted rebars along the Bernauer Straße marking the brief division, one of any number of divisions in the city and viewed from a distance the least important. For centuries the river was the deadly barrier, when the first Berliners and their cattle were sporadically swept from the shallow ford after a hard winter and a warm spring brought torrents heaving down the valley from the Lusatian highlands. From the geologist's point of view, the greatest division is the oldest and most enduring. The great glacial valley that Berlin fills, a valley carved out not by the glacier itself, but by the meltwater that poured down as it retreated north. In life as it is lived, though, perspective is lost to us. Most Berliners feel the valley sides only unconsciously when they haven't turned the pedals of their Dutch bikes for a few minutes, descending from Prenzlauerberg, Schöneberg or Kreuzberg, mountains all, into the valley bottom below. Even in that final summer of 1989, when West Berlin was still the lopsided half-city of my childhood, and the wall still a 155 kilometer physical reality, it was only a trace to me. I sometimes caught sight of its graffitied face lurking at the end of the street like a fugitive, but it was no more striking than the shoes and handbags and glass vitrines on Kürfürstendamm, the punks at Cop Passatur, asleep on benches, stinking of leather and vodka, the scrubbed concrete buildings of Ernst Reuterplatz, topped with endless luminous letters, AEG, Osram, Leiser, Telefunken, Scharlachberg, and the circular signs of Bayer and Mercedes turning incessantly like coins spun on their edges. I remember clearly the dense heat of the dining hall at the Berlin British School, where I did my A-level exams, my grey polyester trousers damp and pinching. I remember the packed packet of polos peeled open on the graffitied ply of the exam desk and the smell of the school hall, plimsels, dettol, and savoury mince. I remember waiting in the underpass by Berlin Zoo station by a a sex shop, avoiding the glances of prostitutes and tramps while my friend Stefan earnestly bought his first pornographic VHS tape, which he later binned in a peak of feminist solidarity. I remember the tallies with the wildlife trust, the silver fish skin and the goggle-eyed sunbleaks that my friends and I counted in red buckets at Riemeisterfen, the grey herons we counted at Grunewaldsee, and the bog Rosemary we counted at Hundekirfen, crushing the pink bulbs between our pink fingers as the morning sun bleached the alders and turned the silver bark of the birches, the pinky orange of melon flesh. And I remember Bad public baths, three huge outdoor pools, and two meadows in the centre of Kreuzberg, a sparkling mass of white and red tile, blue water and pale bodies and bright spandex, where I met Oz, and where the last traces of my childhood were washed away.
2: So I've been talking to Ben Ferguson. We've been talking about his latest novel, the final novel of his Berlin trilogy, An Honest Man, which is out now in the UK from Little Brown. Ben, thank you so much for taking the time to share it with us.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure.